This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of The State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined, as always, by Hudson Standish. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of a free-flowing show tonight, folks. It is a... Uh, I say tonight. I always say tonight. Opposed, opposed to the normal show of ours, which is so structured and regimented. <laughs> yeah. I always say tonight because we record at night, and then I realize most people listen to it when it comes out in the morning. Uh, but... Uh, Hudson's here. He's already kind of spoken, so let's uh, let's get right to introductions. Hudson, how's it going? Yeah, apologies for that, but I just did get tickled at like, oh yeah, just tonight's free flowing. But I know obviously from the pre-show meeting, uh, you are correct. Going good. The Astros uh, in the bottom of the ninth against the Philly uh, against the Phillies, so um, should be fun live radio if the Phillies, you know, storm and start making a comeback. I saw when I was heading to the the podcast studio in my house um, that uh, the the Astros had a no hitter going like in the seventh or something. Yeah, so it's a combined no hitter still um, through eight and a third. So if you're listening to this and the Phillies win six five, know that this is the jinx point right here. Know that I'm over up. I'm going to be the guy that a doesn't like Houston, so wants to see the Astros lose. B when I did watch baseball, always loved watching the Phillies in the NL, so I have a soft spot for them. And the fact that they're like uh, one of their their little mottos for the postseason was "hit that John," which I think is just hilarious. Uh, I'm going to be I'll go crazy if they come back, but they won't. Um, they're a pretty likable team. Yeah, a lot of fun. I think I, I again I don't watch a ton of baseball. I do think Kyle Schwarber it would be a fun guy to have on your team. Oh, big time. Um, yeah, uh, that all the baseball talk from me. <laughs> let's jump right into it. Um, like I said, usually we have a little bit of a prep sheet. We have a little bit of an idea where we're going most nights. Uh, tonight, we're just going to kind of scatter shoot it a little bit. We're going to talk about a myriad of topics, uh, a lot of them pulling from the stampede this week where I kind of touched on a bunch of different topics, and I, I would love to hear Hudson's opinions on some of these things. So. We'll just kind of jump 
right into it. One of the things I talked about um, is how much flexibility there is at the wide receiver position with recruiting. Um, and they've got two commits with Jonte Cook and, and Ryan Niblett. They're obviously after DeAndre Moore. There's a lot of confidence there that they could possibly flip him from Louisville. Although I will say, I think a lot of people are counting, we're counting on Scott Satterfield getting fired and that Louisville class falling apart. And it looks like Scott Satterfield might be saving his job late in the season. Um, but it's kind of, you know, if they get, if they can land DeAndre Moore, if they can land a guy like Jaden Greathouse, flip him, then cool, they filled their number. But I think that they see this as, hey, we can either get these guys on the board or we can go hard at the portal where we know a position like wide receiver is usually plentiful. And I think that that gives them a lot of flexibility and it's not going to lead in as far as I know of right now to maybe like a late offer of a guy that you wouldn't normally take. I think it's the ideal roster construction method for uh, modern football recruiting, especially if you're a power. Like I think that if you're a, um, if you are a like mid tier power five program, ideally you want to build through high school primarily and take who you can that are quality ads from the portal. But if you're a school like Texas, like they're, they're, you know, it's just smart business to take the guys you really think are going to be elite out of high school and your, you know, primary uh, top guys on your board. And other than that, then you start looking at the portal and, um, you know, you're going to be a top spot, especially for offensive weapon. Yeah. And I think, like I said, there's always receivers in the portal. It is, if you go, if you're depending on the portal to find like your, your franchise left tackle, you're probably going to be in trouble, but I think you can find playmakers each and every year in the portal. And so uh, it does give them that option, which I think is better out. I, so I guess kind of my point, what I'm getting to is from a roster building standpoint, as you said, would you rather take Tariq Milton for a year than take a guy who's on a four or five year scholarship from high school who may not ever see serious time in your rotation? It's, I mean, kind of a million dollar question. I personally, Mike, I always lean to high school uh, recruiting over portal um, just because a lot of times I do think that there's a level of buy-in and commitment that you get from a freshman that you might not always get from a portaler, right? Like, um, you know, not using any names, but I mean, you know, you know, we've, we and the listeners fans all are kind of underwear of some guys that have come into the program Um as portal players and haven't necessarily bought in right away where a lot of times with the freshmen um, they are so deferential to the coaches because it's their first time in college football that you kind of get that initial trust or buy-in just from being new and needing some sort of guidance. Yeah. So I think that that flexibility allows them to kind of decide where they want to go. And look, last year they took a guy late in Savion Red, who I think a lot of people were like, well, why are you taking this guy? And he's already logging snaps as a freshman. And I think we'll have a role on this team in the future. You don't always get that. Sometimes you take a guy late and it, 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 you know, it shows up once he gets to campus that this guy should have probably never been taken. You were just doing it to fill a number. So I do like the flexibility it gives them, and I do like the instant help it can give you. But you do have to get the right guys. I think we've seen that this year with uh, Ajay Hall and, you know, Jalil Billingsley, who were two big portal pickups who have hardly played because of off-field troubles. So I do understand your point, at least about uh, immediate buy-in. 
Uh, we also talked about kind of what's going on up front. Recently, Texas extended an offer to West Virginia commit Justin Bitten. Hudson, you talked to him uh, earlier in the week, and, and I had not a lot of knowledge of him because uh, it was kind of done when I was coming back from vacation and all that. Uh, just kind of give us a, a brief, you know, what did you guys talk about? What did you get from him? And then when I asked you, hey, what is what does the film look like? You gave me a pretty uh, interesting answer. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty clear that the staff evaluated Justin Bitten out of Newton High School in Covington, Georgia, and, and view him as a Byron Murphy-esque defensive lineman. He's undersized, but the first step quickness that this kid has, it, it is pretty similar to Byron, who, you know, that's not a guy, Mike, that uh, – you, me, or Guy Frazier, who we'll bring in later. Like, we would not just comp anybody to him, right? Like, there's a level of respect to Byron Murphy to where it's not like, you know, the first 5'10 defensive lineman we see we're trying to, you know, comp him to him, right? Yeah, I mean, as the resident Murph, like, bandwagon guy, uh, yeah, that's a – it's a level – it even made me raise an eyebrow when you said it, but then I watched – I ended up watching the film and I texted you and said, yeah, you were pretty dead on with that – at least from a high school impact, plays with that same kind of violent motor, you know, able to get under bigger offensive linemen, extremely disruptive. He's a one-gap guy. He's not going to be, you know, your big plugger in the middle, but he is a guy that exactly. can penetrate and cause some damage. So when I talk to him, uh, like, my full uh, conversation and quotes are still up on the board, I believe, if you haven't seen him. But more than that, I think what interested me so much about the West Virginia commit is that he took a pretty unconventional method um, to get where it's, where he's at. So he really burst onto the scene as a freshman, I believe had double digit sacks at the Georgia seven, a level, which <laughs> kind of speaks for itself. But then his sophomore year uh, apparently was kind of wrecked due to COVID. Um, I don't know if it was limited snaps or, you know, cancellations or what, but uh, the sophomore season was wrecked to COVID. And so he went to IMG for his third year. And as we kind of know can happen sometimes at IMG, like we had uh, Jaden Hardy return uh, to Louisville from IMG. It's not necessarily for everybody. And so he didn't get a ton of run his junior year. So this senior season was big for him. And he's kind of uh, showing why he was so highly thought of to even, you know, get a spot at IMG in the first place. And Mike, I know that we've talked about this behind the scenes. I mentioned a brief note about it in um, the three things I know article, but Texas has made a move here. I don't know if it's too early to say if they can get a flip or not, but he will likely visit for the TCU game, not set in stone yet. Um, but he is eyeing a visit and, um, you know, is a really intriguing prospect for Bo Davis to identify this late in the cycle. Yeah, I, and I think, obviously, if you look at where, you know, we talked about it with Scott Satterfield in, in Louisville, um, anytime a coach is fired, it gives you extra ammo to kind of pounce on a guy. Obviously, Neil Brown's job security not looking great at West Virginia at this point. Um. The most I called the most underrated recruit in the class, in my opinion, is Leona Lifau, uh, the Hawaiian linebacker, who I think is so out of sight, out of mind for people because he's so far away. Uh, but this is a guy that if you talk to people around the program, they are incredibly excited about. I mean, they think he is a uh, er, an early uh, early contributor. He is a mid a mid year graduate, uh, so he will enroll in the spring. And I, I think 
they see as a huge impact player in this class. And they think, you know, I think there's people that think if he was in the state of Texas, he would be right there uh, either equal or just below Anthony Hill as far as linebacker talent in this state. Hudson, first of all, thoughts on, on my selection of Leona is that, and it, it would, what would you, who would you say would you have as your kind of underrated guy in the class? Leona, I think, is a great answer. Um, I mean, Mike, you know how much I love love his tape. Like, I, I genuinely do feel, even with the potential size concerns, especially because he's an early enrollee, that there's a chance he will get significant snaps next season. And the fact that there's a chance that Texas might lose three linebackers, um, you know, this upcoming offseason. So, obviously not ideal there either, but... If I were to pick somebody, it would probably be Trevor Goosby, who I'm going to see tomorrow night. But I just feel like he has the body type and measurables and overall athleticism to where, you know, Kyle Flood's going to get two or three years with him and turn him into an absolute monster. And I think that he's been better this season from the limited stuff that I've seen. And honestly, even last year as a junior um he was a little bit raw, but at the same time, I just like the tools a ton. So that'd probably be my goal. Uh, the position I'm worried about most right now, I think, is the defensive back position. There's just not a ton of clarity there, and there's not a ton of secondary options. They they seem to be in a fight for basically all their their commits. I mean, Alabama is going to continue to pursue Derek Williams along with LSU. Uh, Malik Muhammad is taking visits and, and schools are continuing to pursue him. Even Jamel Johnson has, you know, talked about taking other visits as well. And then when you look at what they have on the board, their major target out there is JV and Taviano, who as the days go by, it looks less and less likely he ends up as part of this class. I think to me, the lack of clarity and lack of like secondary options there makes that the position I worry about the most. Yeah, I, when I read it, I kind of agreed, right? You're one, which hopefully none of them happen, but you kind of are one decommitment away from a pretty tough-looking group. Um, obviously, I know that there's a lot of positional versatility there, and they Texas is potentially looking at them at, uh, you know, maybe even being a bit of a linebacker. But, like, you know, if you're able to flip Jelani McDonald, that would make me feel a lot better about the room. Yeah, that, that certainly helps as well. I do think he kind of fits a little bit of the same mold as Derek Williams, though. a bigger defensive back, a guy that could play kind of in, in that star role. Um, and maybe he's a good backup option there. I think the issue is, you know, is your true corners in this class outside of, of Manny Muhammad, you know, who do you, if you don't get JV and Taviano, where do we go from there? Yeah. And, I think that some people, even potentially listening to this, like the rebuttal would be, you know, Malik Muhammad is such a good corner that only taking one is fine. But I mean, you know, like you're never really able to get into it with Warren Roberson, which we 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 kind of nailed that recruitment. I mean, there was just really nothing there, other outside of that, you know, first offer. But I don't know. I Ideally, you'd want to try to get somebody late. But as we've kind of talked about, uh, you know, Mike already, if you don't think that the guy you can get from high school is a big enough immediate boost, you might as well just try to get two corners from the portal. 
Yeah, and I think last year, I think corner is another position where it's a little harder to find guys in the portal. Um, but, you know, I did talk to somebody who said, hey, like, you know, what you saw last year with Ryan Watts, a guy that's from this area um, who, you know, decided to come back in the portal. And I think Ryan Watts has been very good this year. You could see that again. So I think that, you know, maybe there are some guys. I, I think the one good thing about, like, I guess if you can call it that guy, so many guys who have gone out of state uh, from Texas is if they're not playing immediately, they kind of want to come back home. And so you, you present yourself as an option there. It is a truth, but it's also some hilarious logic. <laughs> yeah, it's fine if they come out of state because they'll come back. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's it's not something I'm comfortable saying. Yeah, like lose those guys, but I think <laughs> I think you do. Whereas if you lose a kid to A and M or Baylor or TCU, you know, it's I, I think it's almost a little harder to get those guys in the portal than it is sure. to get the guys coming back in state. We've had a lot of questions about Colton Vosick. I mean, obviously, the that's kind of one of the big news items on the Texas board. I Hudson, it, it kind of a lot of it materialized right when I was going on vacation and you were hearing some things. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, there is still, I, I, I guess, a quiet confidence that Texas can pull off this flip. Yeah, I, I honestly, with the people I talk to, I think it kind of has shifted almost from like hopefulness to confidence in general, whether it's quiet or loud. And, you know, that. There has been a lot of the meat on the bone here, even enough to where we have to, you know, at times sit on some stuff. But like, I don't know, it's it's an incredibly um, I mean, I don't know what else to say. My, It's like monumental. If they're able to flip a Westlake star potential, you know, back to back all state level talent from Oklahoma. I mean, it kind of doesn't get bigger than that. So it, it makes sense that a lot of people are intrigued in the Vosick recruitment. And as we get closer to National Signing Day, I feel like it's just going to heat up. And I think you and I both are obviously big fans of what he could be. Would it be fair to say that if they got Colton Vosick, he's probably one of the five most important commits in this class? He'd be one of the five most important. And I think on defense, he'd probably be the second most important. Yeah. I mean, he is a, as good as it gets, I think on the edge. And uh, that's certainly a position where they need a lot of, uh, a lot of help. And then, yeah, kind and, of and I feel like uh, with Vosick too, like it's not just solely on the edge too. Like it's not, he's not a, de he's not a dependent player. Like he doesn't need a certain scheme to operate. I think that he could be good on the edge. I think that if he spun down the defensive line, he could be, really f freaking good there um yeah I, I just about as big as you can get as far as you know remaining prospects in play unless you want to throw in anthony hill who obviously they're still in contact with yeah and i think we talk a lot about nfl bodies and colton bossick is absolutely an nfl body um at that position all right kind of the last thing i want to talk about um a note i had in there I just think people forget about how big of an acquisition Darian Gillette was when Texas got him. And he's kind of been not mentioned, you know, because he's hurt this season, we haven't talked about him a ton. There's not much to talk about. I don't, I haven't heard of anything. I know like Ohio state was still working on him. I haven't heard of him, you know, really looking around or doing anything. I just think it's important for people out there listening 
to remember that getting Darian Gallette, who I believe is going to be a mid-year enrollee, and getting him into that linebacker core, he is a type of athlete that can find his way onto the field very quickly. And all of a sudden next year, people are going, oh, wow, that guy's really good. Also, Mike, like especially the fact that he is a January enrollee and you know gets a extended runway if there are problems with the knee that are uh, lingering past his initial recovery window, right? Like the fact that you have the Texas, um, you know, sports medicine staff to work with as well. I feel like it's just going to help his career so much instead of getting there in you know June, being asked to learn everything getting uh, the new strength and conditioning, right? Like he almost has a window of spring football to where he can kind of, you know, get still iron out some of the wrinkles from not playing his senior year. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to riff on or add before we move on to our picks? Yeah. Mike 2024 quarterback is a little bit of a hot topic. Julian saying commits to Alabama. We we did the QB domino math knowing that would happen once Ryan Puglisi committed to Georgia, but still a pretty interesting uh, development. And Texas still doesn't really have an offer, a committable offer out to any uh, QBs that aren't. So, like, what is what do the Longhorns do with twenty twenty four QBs? I mean, it's it's a very interesting question. I think. When you look at the in-state picture, and it's almost it seems foolish to look at the in-state picture because since being here, outside of Dylan Rayola, who when he was in state, Sark hasn't really recruited in-state quarterbacks. He's kind of he's gone out of state for both of his cycles, and so uh, maybe that is the answer: is to continue to look out of state. I think that typically you don't. They're getting into territory of like you don't want to be this late to offer a guy, right? Because you may not be in it. But on the other hand, I think we learned a lot this year, especially with this year's quarterback class, is that a lot of those guys it didn't really heat up for them until you know, kind of this the spring. Like I think of a guy like Jaden Rashada, where schools like Texas A and M and Miami were coming in like later for him a little bit. And um, uh, Dante Moore, too, with Oregon and Texas A&M. Yeah, still able to get into the picture. And I think Sark's record as a quarterback developer will allow Texas to be a little later to offer a guy and still be in the race. So looking at the out-of-state picture, a couple of guys I see, Elijah Brown from modern day, you know, Sark likes to recruit California, likes to recruit the West Coast. Uh, this kid has been a starter since I believe his freshman year. He's been really good. Um, he's a guy I could see them going after, uh, Walker white from little rock, Arkansas is another guy who I think kind of fits the mold of what Sark looks for in a quarterback. And then a guy you brought up to me before the show, Isaac Wilson from corner Canyon in Draper, Utah, uh, the little brother of Zach Wilson, uh, I think could be another interesting option. One of the interesting things as well, it is one thing for to kind of discuss what we think Sark's going to do at the quarterback position in a normal cycle, but with the 2024, it almost acts as a bridge cycle, right? Because with Arch Manning in 2023, like we've already seen how him committing to Texas impacted the 24, you know, top tier uh, group and the fact that, you know, most of those guys, you know, with respect, just moved on to other programs. 
So it's finding the right mix of somebody who is comfortable being a year behind Arch Manning and also still recruiting at a high le- high enough level because you know Sark isn't going to take a quarterback if he thinks there's you know no reason to. The three names that I um, kind of came up with, out of state, you mentioned it, Isaac Wilson. I think that's probably the highest tier. They've already recruited a Corner Canyon QB before. They have a relationship with that staff. I think that the NFL genetics definitely are a big plus with Wilson and his tape is just really good. And there doesn't seem to be a clear leader right now Two, in state. I think that Deuce Adams legitimately has a shot to be the guy he's visited Texas. It feels like almost every opportunity. He's a Texas legacy, his film and stats from his junior year at New Braunfels Canyon are incredible. I think that he needs to strongly be considered um, in-state, I'm sure you would have mentioned him, but Trey Owens at Cypher is another bridge candidate that's worth talking about. But somebody that we kind of uh, found over, over the summer, Mike, that I wanted to bring up, Judd Anderson from Jones County in Georgia. Six foot six, 220 pounds, has had a really good junior season after transferring to a bit of a powerhouse in Georgia. So those are three for me. Judd Anderson's a lot of fun. I think it's also like you could conceivably go portal to find a bridge quarterback. You're not going to get the high end portal guys that are going to say, well, I can't, I'm not going to beat Quinn Ewers out in year one. And then I've got to compete with Arch Manning, but you might be able to get a guy who was a highly rated quarterback recruit. Um, It didn't work out at a program. I'm thinking of something like a situation at Ole Miss where Jackson Dart went in there, even though, Luke Altemeyer was also there, uh, not knowing the job was his and having to battle for it. Uh, you could, you know, maybe you're not going to get a Jackson Dart level guy, but I think that that is a, a potential option as well. Yeah, or, you know, the the I hate using him as an example because he quite literally went to Washington State instead. But uh, when Gardner Minshew was going through his transfer recruiting process and nearly took a, the second uh, QB spot at Alabama just to learn from that program. Like those type of things can kind of happen. I think it's really interesting. The clo- the closer we do get to the off season and there's still not one offered though, I kind of am maybe thinking along your same lines of maybe they just go portal. Yeah. And there could be a, cl- a case of, you know, maybe in 25, you have to take two or something like that. I, I think a lot's going to depend on quarterback attrition on campus as well. Like what does Malik Murphy do? What does Hudson card do? I think it's, it's kind of all but certain, right? Hudson card's probably gone at this point. Uh, and not, without, I mean, that's not Intel. That's just yeah. common sense. <laughs> not, not breaking, but. Uh, so I think a lot of that's dependent on it as well. All right, anything else before we go to Guy? No, let's get to the picks. Let's get to the sponsors first. We're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsors. All right, and thank you to uh, those that electric ad read uh, from whoever read it. All right, we bring in our buddy Guy Frazier. Guy, how's it going? Uh, Good. Trying to figure out all these playoff scenarios, and uh, I think we're in for a fun show tonight. Before we get to the picks, Guy, you are a boots-on-the-ground reporter in college football this year. and so, you, were, you were boots-on-the-ground last week, but not at Texas as they were off. You were in College Station uh, yeah, wearing, yeah. wearing hottie-totty colors. 
Uh, I think I saw a hotty toddy tweet from you at some point during the evening. Several, yeah. Um, give us the boots on the ground report from from Kyle Field last week. Yeah, so um, you know it's one of those things where like you make a, a plan with a buddy like six months in advance, and you're just kind of shooting from the hip. Mike and I do this all the time in Texas high school football land, and then. The time comes and the plans fall through. You don't end up going to that game or whatever. Well, two weeks ago, buddy Thomas Berger, Ole Miss grad, Highland Park grad, said, you know, do you remember that idea? And I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, or I, I didn't remember the idea, but I was down to do it. So we went down there and uh, been to College Station many a times, been with you, Mike, as well, uh, but never really spent any extended time on campus over in actual, like, Aggie land. So first experience at Kyle Field, um, did the whole Dixie Chicken deal. I know I got the thumbs down from you on that, but I actually had a good time there. Uh, the campus itself, it's really big, it seems like, but not a whole lot of like character. Uh, I didn't hate it. I just I didn't really see how you could go to school there for four years. I know if there's any Aggie listeners of any sort on this, they'll say I'm biased, but uh, I, I just that was kind of my thoughts, but. Uh, Kyle Field itself was a really nice stadium, uh, cool atmosphere, obviously a really unique experience, um, despite them kind of having some some troubling times. Um, it was still pretty lively, and, and Ole Miss being there kind of brings its own flair and element. Um, and then, like I said, uh, you know, I was in blue and red and, and hotty toddy and had several Aggies thank me and my buddies for being there, <laughs> um, which that was interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, all in all, the good guys won uh, for my cause, and it was a good time. You got to see the debut of Connor Weidman, who, you know, yes. despite the Aggie struggles, played really well. Um, I did think it was concerning at halftime. I think I texted our other group because I wasn't watching the game. I was doing something else, and – I said, I'm looking at the numbers here, and it looks like everything's going as right for A&M as possible, and they're only up by four at the half. So right. uh, that's kind of concerning. But uh, a big, a big day, a big night for Evan Stewart as well, who's a uh, you know guy and I are extremely familiar with um, from his time in Texas high school football. So uh, it was good to see some of our guys, uh, you know, make some big plays. Yeah, it, it's a strange deal with A&M right now because this is kind of the first. Not the first crop, but it's a, a bigger crop of guys where you know quite a few Aggie players from my perspective. So it's like you want to see them do good, like the individuals. But the actual team itself, it's like as a Longhorn, it's hard for me to really, you know, root for, for A&M. But, uh, I mean, Quinshawn Junkins was really fun to watch, and it's always fun seeing the lane train. And, uh, no, I mean, overall, two thumbs up. I'd go again. You know, it was a good time. Maybe that's because I did have a burn orange belt on, so some people did see that. But, uh, I mean, all in all, it was, it was all in good fun and uh, a, a good day to be had. So, All right, let's get to the picks. Uh, Hudson, we've had a shakeup in the records. Yes. Mike, two weeks ago, you were tied for last place. I believe five or four games back. And you have stormed into a tie for the lead. You and I are both 37 and 15. Guy is 35 and 17. Two games, Guy, out of uh, <laughs> out of a tie for first place. Let's recap last week because there were two games that uh, we differed on as a group. The first one, Galena Park North Shore, 
Umbola Tascacita. I go with the Tascacita. You guys go with North Shore. The Mustangs rally from a 13 to 3 deficit, score the remaining points for the rest of the game, and just get a Tascacita again. Um, I know, obviously, we've all listened to Tep and Step, Matt Step from Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Kind of put it how I think after watching that game to where Tascacita probably was the right pick, but at the same time, even with a backup quarterback, North Shore still finds a way to get it done. Personally, I'm not upset with my Tascacita pick. I think I was on the right side, but I sure was not on the right side of Duncanville DeSoto. Mike, I called you the morning of Friday. Just <laughs> absolutely, uh, you know, what have I done? Why have I done this? I had that gut feeling, and then, you know, Duncanville pr- proceeded to punt DeSoto into the sun, and I feel like a moron for picking that. You know, I grew up that game. How how was my prediction and my analysis on that? Pretty dead on. I mean, it was DeSoto hung tough with them for about a quarter and a half. And just that I think DeSoto had two or three trips inside the red zone. They had three red zone fourth down failures. Yeah, just couldn't get it right. And uh, Duncanville just kind of started to roll from there. Um, Caden Durham is incredible. Uh, he's a guy that we saw early in the year against Sock break off a big run, like 90 plus yards. He had a bunch of those. He had like 99. He got 99 on that run. Yeah. Um, I think he had three runs of over 70 yards in this, in this game against DeSoto uh, for touchdowns. It was so, it got to a point where like one of the just guys who was just hanging out on the sideline with Duncanville, um, walked by us like right after they got the ball and was like, you guys might want to move Kate. And they're like on the other far end of the field. And he's like, you guys might want to move. Caden Durham's probably about to run back down the sideline for like another 80 yard touchdown. And it was like the next play, boom, 80 yard <laughs> touchdown. Like the guy was, it was one of those kind of nights. And I kind of spelled it out on the podcast with the wet, with the weather. I thought it very much, um, you know, benefited Duncanville. Uh, so Bye. But as we talked on the phone, for some reason, I just kept on thinking that, okay, well, if it rains, they'll move the game to Saturday. Not realize, not remembering that, no, it's only with lightning. So once I realized that they were going to play this game in the rain, it was just, I knew that I was cooked. Yeah. And like I said, a couple of weeks ago when I was in last, it's a long season, still a lot of picks to be made. And I thought about today, like maybe, and we certainly can't do this this year and just throw a wrench into the rule book, but maybe next year have like a regular season winner and then a postseason winner um, with with separate things online. So um, there would certainly be something there, but uh, we're really at like the little over the halfway mark when you consider what's left for us. Listen, it's a 16 game uh schedule just like uh just like the high schoolers. Mike Mike wants the regular season to matter here. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking like um No, it's a good idea. It's we good we idea. add more stakes to it or something. And I think he, the regular season I don't know. I think I would almost put like the big payoff on the regular season, right? Because you know. it's like once you get into the playoffs, it's it's uh, it's easier I think to start narrowing down winners whereas like the regular season gives you a lot more variance i don't know just an idea i have maybe something we'll we'll throw throw out there in the off-season meetings i don't disagree with it i think it'd be cool uh rapid fire 
AM Consolidated gets up 21 to nothing on College Station, and the Cougars come back, and Little Brother just kind of puts it to Big Brother. Now it's 5 and 0. 5 and 0 College Station is against AM Consolidated, the power program traditionally in the city of uh, College Station. Pretty wild. Cibolo Steel, Converse Judson, I kind of uh, went to bat for this game last week, saying that, you know, regardless, you have to throw the records out. And we get, I think, a triple OT uh, thriller with Steele finding a way to get it done, winning by two points. And then Lumberton just absolutely crushes um, Little Cypress Mauriceville. Yeah, it was uh, – that one was – they moved that game too, day of. Um, so I, I don't think people were looking for the result. I think Hudson, didn't I have to tell you, hey, this game was actually Thursday night and this was yeah, the score? Yeah, Thursday <laughs> night and Lumberton crushed them. Yeah, so uh, that one kind of played out like we thought it would. Uh, any others from last week uh, worth going over? I'll say this. Oh, I was looking game. on athletic.net, was looking at the 4A track times from last year at State, and stumbled upon that Lumberton actually had some speed down there in Austin last year. Yep. Which we didn't really mention that last week. I didn't know they had athletes like that, but I, I found that to be kind of intriguing, uh, at least retrospectively. <laughs> Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, the bonus game, we all went with Byron Nelson, and I think that was another one from people on the ground that because of the wet conditions, that offense just kind of sputtered, and once that happened, it just kind of went downhill from there. We did not talk about that game on the podcast last week. We kind of all agreed to it off air afterwards in a legendary and long post-show meeting that we had last week. Um, but – I think that a uh, guy said off air, you know, like if if Duncan or if Southlake's going to win, it's going to be the Owen Allen show, and it it sounds like it was. Yeah, so we all went zero and three, so it just ends up not counting towards the records, just for exactly uh, transparency there to the listeners. But yeah. all right, guy, take us there. Okay, so our week eleven slate. Um, you know, if you were to look at the overall state of the season this would be a, a decent slate it's not a amazing slate it's pretty down in 6a this week there's some games that matter and we were able to sneak one in uh far out west and we'll get to that one eventually but overall there's some really important games uh down the small school ranks we've it seems like we've kind of given them a lot of love this week or this year we're going to give them two games this week so a little bit of a change uh but yeah i mean it's the last week of the regular season tiebreakers all that and uh, it kind of dives us into the playoffs next week. By the way, a lot of these games have been moved once again due to expected weather in the yeah. region on Friday. And uh, my dad tried to hardo Texas high school football. He called me earlier this week, and he was like, hey, these kids can't play in a little rain. They're going to move all the games. And I, Sounds I think, like me. I had to explain to him that, hey, there's district championships on the line. They've got to get these games in. It's supposed to rain through the weekend. you know. I mean, yeah, but you even saw – our, our friend Greg Tepper even was like, some of this is posturing for the playoffs. And I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on with some of this. I think there is weather, but then there's some schools that are just moving just to move, I feel like. so. Well, I mean, if you're going to get an extra day of rest and prep before your playoff game, I, sure. think it's, I think you do everything possible to take advantage of that. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, you know, just a little, a little water ain't no, hurt nobody. But, uh, yeah, I think we've got like 240 Thursday night games this week as of yeah. now. Thursday night's going to be a banger. I think they, but they are forecasting that this storm is going to carry a lot more lightning 
um, which is going to like my game. I, I don't think ever Duncanville DeSoto never went into an official delay. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to start at seven. It started at seven 30, but they never made an announcement. Hey, this game's in delay. I never saw lightning. I think that they probably just decided, Hey, this, this looks like it's moving out of the area. Let's just start it at seven 30 instead. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that luck. There weren't as yeah you were you were in hell. I was in like standards. Yeah, I, I saw that. You know, South Lake and uh, and Byron Nelson, I think, were in delay for a bit. Uh, Prosper and Allen went late into the night because they were in uh, significant delays. So I do get. I there is a lot of gamesmanship, but there is also you got to get these things in so we can start figuring out seedings on Saturday. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, I overall have no issue with it, uh, but it did make our scheduling kind of interesting this week. So. Without further ado, we'll, we'll jump into it. Um, starting off in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we've got a fun one in 5AD2. Uh, 7 p.m. Thursday at Everman's beautiful J.E. Marr Stadium, where Guy Frazier once played a freshman Highland Park game once upon a time. Um, the number six team in 5AD2, the Midlothian Heritage Jaguars, who are 8-1 themselves, uh, travel west to take on the Host Bulldogs, the number 10 team in 5AD2. The Everman Bulldogs are 8-1. and one. Um, Jaguars entered this game, according to DCTF Computers, a six-point favorite. And this is a district championship in 5-5AD2. Uh, the wheel's spoken. I'll go first, Mike will go second, and Hudson will be in the trail. Uh, so I'll, I'll originally just kind of give this little uh, premise with the game. So like I said, it's a, it's a district championship for district five and five AD two. Um, this was originally scheduled for Friday, but was moved to Thursday due to the weather and potential weather and all that that Mike and I were just discussing um, from a playoff scenario standpoint, as of today, the projections show that heritage would face up with Seagaville in the first round in a one, four game. And then Everman is uh, slated to be with Dallas Kimball in the 2-3 game uh, next week. Kimball and Seagaville actually play each other tomorrow as well. So depending on what happens there, could flip-flop that. Uh, but that's something to keep in mind. And obviously the Heritage-Everman game, that result matters as well for Kimball and Seagaville. Uh, from this standpoint of this game, though, uh, Hudson and I were kind of alluding to this before we, we – recorded here but uh i think this is a really good game um i'm kind of do i want to go with my heart or do i want to go with my brain here uh everman's in a little bit of a renaissance season that they haven't had in a long time and it's good to see the bulldogs back um i don't know a ton about either team i know we kind of had a defensive lineman from everman put on our radar today we were tagged all in the tweet he was fun to watch his name's eluding me at the moment but um I think I'm going to put my Everman pom-poms away and go with Midlothian Midlothian here that you get the win on the road. Um, I don't know. Just something tells me that's how this is going to go down. And maybe I end up regretting that. I should pull out my my Bulldog pom-poms because I'm a big Everman fan. Uh, But give me Heritage to get a big win in E-Block and claim the district championship. Uh, Wait a minute. You said give you Heritage to get the district win. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. My my brain my brain went crazy there, and I thought you just said all that and then picked Everman. Um, yeah i I remember the days in which Heritage was 
kind of your consistent regional finalist um, and, and, and a dangerous team in the playoffs. Very good, you know, passing team, high scoring offense, all that sort of thing. They're not quite that anymore, but they're still plenty dangerous. And um, I think the Everman story has been really cool this year. It, I'm like you guy growing up in this area. It's kind of cool to see Everman back. And I think we saw shades of what Everman could be last year. That's the team that pushed Sock to the limit in the playoffs more than anybody, um, you know, outside of Liberty Hill. So, uh, yeah, 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 I guess so. Yeah, Alito as well. Um, but, I mean, Everman was was looked at as a that's an easy round one game. And, uh, you know, Sock had a, a time with him. There was a point in that game where Guy and I were on the sideline going, is this going to go to flames against Everman in round one after all this? That was a very I, real, real I believe possibility. they recovered an onside kick when they were already up a score. Correct. They, they came out of the half and onsided and got it. And, and we were just like, oh, boy. Um, but... You know, we we all know how that story ended. I I with guy. I would love to take it, Everman in this game. You know what? I would normally. I my reasoning was I'm going to side with Step, and if Step doesn't think Everman can do it, I don't think they can do it. But you know he's what? Sandbagging. He's sandbagging. For it. I don't know if he is sandbagging though, because he's told me for multiple weeks that Everman's defense is like really suspect. Now they have come to play the last couple of weeks, but he's just not bought in on that. He, you know, his opinion is that it's an emotional hedge. It's just it's a sandbag. I'm probably going to regret this in a week, but give me. I think I am too. Yeah. You're you're going with Everman, Mike? Yeah. I thought I was going to be all alone. I changed my mind at the last minute. I thought I was going to be all alone and was just going to get... I really like Everman in this game, especially with potential bad weather or the reschedule. Getting this at home, I think, matters a ton. When you look at it, they have a ton of common results because they're both teams' one loss on the year is to Stephenville, right? Both in shootouts to start the year. I went back and looked at those two games. I think that Everman really should have beaten Stephenville. When when I watched what I saw from Stephenville, Midlothian, Heritage, I thought the Yellow Jackets were the better team. Everman has had some questionable results, right? They win by two points against Burleson. Um, they have a close one with Ennis, right? They're not a you know steamroller, but I don't know. I think in this spot even though they are the underdog heading into the matchup, I'm rolling with the Bulldogs. Fair enough. Probably, probably one we're going to regret in a week, but you know what? Now, now's the time. Now that I have uh, reached the top of the mountain, tied to reach the top of the mountain of the picks, now's time to take some shots. I mean, I've been waiting for this day for a long time. I mean, Everman Highland Park have a, have a history of their own, but Everman was like the really fun 3A program at one time and going to state championships. And so I'm all for it. I, I don't want to regret this, and, and, you know, maybe I will. But, uh, by the way, the defense alignment is Kevin Allen. He's picked up UTSA, SMU, Arkansas State, and La Tech all since late September. So his senior years really served him well. But thought I'd give him a shout-out real quick. Um, moving on, our first of two small school games this week, 7.30 p.m. Thursday, 
at Kilgore's RE St. John Memorial Stadium, um, stadium where Kilgore High and Kilgore Junior College both play. We've got the number eight team in 4A Division One, the Tyler Chapel Hill Bulldogs, who are seven and two. We'll travel a little east to take on a familiar foe in the number seven team in 4A D1, the Kilgore Bulldogs, who are seven and two themselves. Uh, according to the DCTF computer, Kilgore enters this game as a one-point favorite. Uh, this is a district championship in 9-4A D1. Um, really fun East Texas 4A district. Uh, this was originally scheduled for Friday as well, uh, but because of weather, it's been moved to Thursday, like many other games. Uh, as of now, the projections show that Kilgore and Livingston would match up. And the 1-4 game in Tyler Chapel Hill and Little Cypress-Mauriceville would be in the 2-3 game. Uh, one thing of note, if Little Cypress-Mauriceville wins against Livingston um, this week, then it would keep things intact as is. Um, if that was the change and Livingston beats LCM in an upset, that would that would flip-flop. And same thing for Chapel Hill-Kilgore, so that's still yet to be seen. Uh, the wheel's spoken. Mike will go first this time. I will go second, and Hudson will go third. Okay. Uh, this is a game Guy and I will be at. Um, the, these guys on the podcast, there's no there's no deking them on where I'm going with this. Uh, this is uh, There's some personal things on the line uh, within our friend group here. The, the, we, I should, will, we should let the listeners know. I think it's. I, I think, think it's, it's okay to let them know. Yeah, I think it's fair game. Green light. Okay, a former host of this show uh, is who claims Chapel Hill among many other schools in the state. Uh, once we, we were discussing this game at State Seven on Seven, like, man, how fun would it be to go cover Kilgore Chapel Hill? That's a game we've all got circled. And a former host of the show, whose name rhymes with Mick Maris. Um, came out and said, no, I want to see Tyler Chapel Hill against somebody, you know, that could actually give him a contest like Henderson. Um, and I had no, like, just to be clear, I have no ill will for Chapel Hill. They have a staff full of guys I really like. Jeff Reardon's an awesome coach. They've got some really fun kids. Uh, their recruiting coordinator, recruiting coordinator, Blake Reeve, is a guy that has helped me out tremendously and has done a lot to push kids. I love everything. They, and Chapel Hill's got a really cool, like everything about them, their program. Chapel Hill, 10 out of 10. Yeah, colors, logo. In any other world, I would be all on board for Chapel Hill. But that insult, plus. Against a preseason top 10 team. like A team that, um, for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they played twice last year. They played the regular season in Kilgore 1. And they played in the regional final mm-hmm. and Chapel Hill won in overtime or late. Yeah, by a point, I think. So very two very closely matched teams, which is why we were so excited about this result. Uh, they won by a score, but yeah, okay. That said, Kilgore is also coached by somebody I'm friendly with, Clint Fuller, former Pleasant Grove defensive coordinator, who's brought a little heart and soul over to the Bulldogs. If you want to talk about in the same vein as Everman, how cool would it be if Kilgore was back to just being a regular state title contender? Uh, the history at Kilgore guy and I went out to uh, Kilgore in the spring uh, for a stop and they asked us to speak to the team and guy and I both talked about what, what Kilgore was to us as kids. 
uh, and the Kilgore football you would see. So uh, I am going with Kilgore here at home in a big game. Yeah, I'm trying to think of Eddie Jones, Michael Huey, and who's the third name I'm forgetting? That's a former Texas Longhorn during that Mac era. Um, um, another lineman. Britt Mitchell. Britt Mitchell. Yep, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so Mike and I spoke about that a little bit. And while I, I love the Kilgore Bulldogs, I don't know if Mike's going to really like me after this. Um yeah, to get here, uh, Kilgore and Chapel Hill actually have like very similar paths. They're both seven and two, as I said a second ago, but they both lost their first two games of the of the year, um, and they have a common opponent that they both lost to Gilmer. So, I mean, Kilgore like, lost to Gilmer and Carthage. And they lost to Garth, yes, right, and then uh, Chapel Hill lost to Gilmer and Van, which. I think people kind of overlook Van, but Van's actually a, a sleepy good program out east. That's maybe not the game Chapel Hill should lose, but they did. So um, there's there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, you've got two quarterbacks that are not similar in their futures, but as high school players, they're both fun dual threats in that you've got Demarion Van Zandt from Kilgore, who Mike and I spoke to uh, this past spring, and then you've got Demetrius Brisbane from Chapel Hill, who's got a future, I think, as a Division I safety probably. Uh, but either way, he's got a future. He's already picked up a slew of offers, as well as his counterpart in the backfield, Ricky Stewart, who's the running back at Chapel Hill. Um, so long and short, Chapel Hill's got a, a lot of really good young talent. Uh, Kendall Allen's a good defensive tackle as well to keep an eye on in this game. And because of all these pieces, right, um, I'm going to roll with Chapel Hill. I think Kilgore is really fun. Um, and I think they're a really good high school football team, but I just like top end talent over at Chapel Hill a little bit more. And so I'll, I'll go with them to get the road win and get a feather in their cap for some of those young, young cats over there. I love this matchup. It, I'm, I was so excited about it preseason, really excited about it right now. And, and I'm pumped that in my opinion, we're going to get it for a uh, second time as well. Yeah. My game plan, even from the preseason, and I wrote it down on a little notepad. Like Mike, we watched draft day. Who was who is the? You're a big draft day head, right? Yeah, um, it's a uh, it, it, oh, shoot. Uh, it, no, no, Bo Callahan's the guy he passes on. It's a yeah. uh, something Mac. I always I I would know it, but I always think Khalil Mac, and it's clearly not Khalil Mac. Um, is it Alvin Mack? No, Alvin Mack's from the program. I'll look uh, it up right now. I'm sorry for this, but on my notepad, I said Tyler Chapel Hill, no matter what. I On the resumes, I really would like to take Kilgore here, especially because it's in Kilgore. Vontae Mack. Vontae Mack, thank you. That was going to kill me. Um, <laughs> um, I'm taking Ch Tyler Chapel Hill. I don't love it. I'm probably going to take Kilgore uh, to win, to get to a state final. But right now, I'm going to go with Chapel Hill in the regular season. I mean, it's a one-point game. It's a pick -em. Like, I don't think you really can go wrong here. I know Mike has personal skin here in this game. But, look, like, they're both very similar teams. I just – I like Chapel Hill's top in town. I think they'll get them over the top, at least in this game. I never <laughs> really believed in Magic – until I saw two of my dogs turn into turn snakes. Into snakes. Man. <laughs> Fair but brutal. 
Um, my thing with when I look at this game seriously, though, like the Lindale common result where I think Kilgore gets them like 42 to 35 and then Tyler Chapel Hill just puts up 79 on them. Like that's a really good Lindale team. Like, I don't know the, the offense spooks me with uh, Chapel Hill. Like, I, I feel like they can just take a flamethrower to just about anybody on the right day. But, you know. Sure. Kilgore with Clint Fuller, like he's going to have answers for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two other names for fans to keep out, keep a look for in this game is Matthew Tyuski. Um, Mike yes. and I spoke to him and really liked him a lot. Um, did I pronounce that last name correctly? Is that right? You did, yeah. Yeah. He's actually being recruited in football and track um, by some FCS and low G5 schools. And then my guy, Tyson Berry, who's like an energizer bunny over at Chapel Hill. He's a San Diego State commit, really good slot receiver. Um, so th- there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. But like I said, I don't think we can go wrong. Um, moving on to game number three, another fun one. Uh, one that Mike and I potentially were going to go to at one point, but they just never could decide when they were going to play this game, so it fell through. Um, we've got the 7.30 p.m. Thursday night at Lovejoy's Leopard Stadium in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We've got the Melissa Cardinals, who are 7-2, and two, taking on a familiar foe down the street, the number nine team in 5AD2, the Lovejoy Leopards, who are 7-2 and two themselves. Uh, according to the DCTF computer, Lovejoy enters this game as a 20-point favorite uh, last time I looked. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, this is a district championship itself in 7-5-A D2. Um, like I was saying, they never really could figure out when they were going to schedule this game. Originally it was Thursday, then it moved to Friday. Now it's back to Thursday. Um, so weather wreaking havoc on this one as well. As of now, the projections show that Lovejoy will match up with Marshall in the 1-4 game. And Melissa would match up with Hallsville. Uh, the top four are locked into place in 8-5 AD2 as far as who the four teams will be, but their placement is not there yet. And that could waver with Hallsville, uh, Marshall, and I forgot who. Uh, Texas High, I think, is your automatic first place team. I can't remember who the other – I think it's White House is the other team. So depending on kind of what the results are this week, Lovejoy and Melissa's matchups could – could switch, but as of now, it's Lovejoy Marshall, Melissa Hallsville. Uh, the wheel has spoken. Hudson will go first. I will go second again, and Mike's in the trail this time. Lovejoy has a dy- uh, dynamic offense, um, and honestly, I just kind of trust them more in a matchup like this. I don't think the 20-point spread is super accurate, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I'd say love joy comfortably. I, I, one thing that is pretty interesting to me, Melissa actually outplayed love joy with a common opponent in Crandall, who I think is guy in Mike. Y'all probably agree is the third best team in that district. Yeah. Right? I was actually at that game. Mm-hmm. And Melissa Crandall game at the same time, while that made me want to think about Melissa a little bit more, the fact that I think two weeks ago they gave up 44 to Denison, who's going to miss the playoffs pretty comfortably, just made me kind of go with the chalk and love joy. Yeah, so um, obviously I've got some connections to the Melissa program with being good friends with uh, Trevor Goosby's father and getting to know Trevor over the course of his life. Um, 
So I, I like Melissa. They're, they're always good to me. Uh, but I think I'm going to kind of go with the chalky pick here as well. Um, I don't know. That, that Lovejoy receiving core is just too fun not to like. And, and they're really talented. And I, I just I like their offense a little bit more. I do think this game can get pointy uh, depending on how the weather affects it. Uh, you've got two good high school quarterbacks in this game. Uh, and you've just got offenses that can put some points up on the board, but uh, give me give me Lovejoy. Uh, you know, I don't see the t- twenty point spread there, but I guess it could happen. Uh, but regardless, give me the Leopards. The weather does concern me because Lovejoy does have weakness at the running game. Um, like their their offense is a lot predicated on the pass, so. If it grounds them, I, I think it, it could be a little concerning. That said, I think I looked for Melissa to be a lot better than they were. And it's it's tough to say. Both these teams are seven and two. But, you know, Lovejoy's two losses coming to Argyle, who they lost to by a touchdown. Melissa was kind of smacked by Argyle. And then a North Crowley team that has kind of surprisingly gone undefeated this season. Um, I don't think are as bad uh, when you look at them in the grand scheme of things, where when you look at Melissa getting killed by Argyle, and then, you know, they lost a tight one to China Spring. I guess you could kind of say really the only differentiator is the blowout loss to Argyle. Um, I, like I said, the weather does concern me, but I am going to lean on Lovejoy's offense at home and take the Leopards. And before we move on to our next pick, we are going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors. All right. After another electric ad break, we're going to ask the crowd to quiet down and stop their uh, standing ovation. And Guy, take us on to the fourth game as we head out west. Yeah, so we're going to head out west. We were always going to be out west. It was just a matter of which game. So we're going to take it to new territory for this season as we're going to go all the way out to mountain time as we go to El Paso, Texas. Um, we had a 5A game slated for this one. I guess we can be transparent. It was originally the El Paso Del Valle, El Paso Bel Air game. There's a lot that could play out in one 5A uh, D1 from a tiebreaker scenario, and there's point differentials in play and all that. Um, in the end, Hudson and I made the last second audible. I'm not sure if Mike really cared either one way or the other, but we decided to go with East Lake and Eastwood. So, Without further ado, 7 p.m. Friday at Eastwood's Trooper Stadium. We've got the El Paso Eastlake Falcons, who are 6-3, and three, making the trip over to take on the El Paso Eastwood Troopers, who are 7-2. and two. Uh, According to the DCTF computer, Eastwood enters this game as a 16-point favorite. Um, and I guess before we jump into the wheel, Hudson and I were going to discuss the playoff scenarios a little bit here. Um, so Hudson, if you want to help me out on that, we can kind of tag team it here. Yeah, just the reason that this game's kind of important is because it firmly decides who's two and who's three in the district. El Paso Pebble Hills, led by Gail Ochoa, who was a really intriguing uh, 24, I believe, quarterback pro- prospect. Um, they, they're the district title uh, winners. But this plus an America's and Franklin uh, photo finish for that fourth and final playoff spot is really intriguing. And we got a lot of really good listener feedback uh, from when we added the Rio Grande Valley to the picks um, a couple weeks weeks back. So we wanted to make sure to hit El Paso. So I really appreciated Guy doing that. Yeah. So to kind of explain to the listeners, and I'm sure El Paso listeners will like this. So Pebble Hills, like Hudson said, is locked in at the one spot. 
and they will be a six a d they will be a six a d one team regardless of with their enrollment. Uh, where things get interesting is on the Franklin Americus outcome. If Franklin beats Americus, they're the, actually the biggest school in this district. They would slot up to D one with Pebble Hills, and they would take Americus spot as that as that fourth team, pushing Eastwood and East Lake down to Division two. And then the outcome of this game would matter for who is one or two in Division two for Eastwood and East Lake. If Americus beats um, Franklin this week, then that would push East Lake up to Division one with Pebble Hills, and Eastwood and Americus would be. Uh, the two teams in Division Two, and uh, you're you're listening live as I figure out who won the head-to-head there. Um, Americas East- uh, beat Franklin, I believe. Okay. Well, uh, Eastwood beat Americas by a point, so it would put Eastwood as the one spot, and Americas as the two in Division Two. So, uh, the Eastwood Eastlake game matters a lot, but I think Eastlake is kind of your swing team here, right? That they go either D one or D two, sure. and so while Eastlake wants to win their game against Eastwood, they also are going to be paying attention to what happens in the Franklin Americas game more than anybody in this district this week. So there's a lot at play in one six A, um, and then that matters also for uh, your seeding and, and who you might play uh, in the playoffs next week from a pro- projection standpoint. So big time. Uh, without further ado, the wheel's spoken already as we figured this it's all okay. out. Hudson will go first. I will go second once again. And uh, Mike's in the trail. Okay. Pretty simply, I just really like El Paso Eastwood as a program. I think that their offense is pretty dynamic. I like that they're willing to test themselves in non-district play. So give me the troopers. So Eastwood um, has actually made a lot of trips to the DFW area the last couple of years. They've played Southlake, I believe. They've ta- uh, played Plano Senior High a couple of times. And I really like how Julio Lopez approaches his scheduling, that he's not afraid to come up here. He thinks it's a really good experience for his guys that prepare them further down the road once they get to the playoffs because they know that they're going to have to travel at some point. So might as well just get used to it now in non-district play, right? Um, and it, it's paid off for them. They actually went all the way to a regional semifinal a year ago, and they returned 14 guys from that team that started um, on the 2021 team. With that in mind, um, I like Eastwood to get this get this one in, uh, get the win. And then I do like Franklin, I think, over Americus as well. We'll just add that as a bonus. doesn't count, uh, but that would make for the Pebble Hills-Franklin setup in D1 and then Eastwood, um, and then I guess East Lake and D two. So yeah, there you go. So yeah, give me Eastwood. Give me the Troopers. Really like what Julio Lopez has uh, built out there. And honestly, it's one of the more elite mascots in the state. So there we go. Yeah, elite mascot, elite colors. I, Julio Lopez is a guy that is regarded in the state as a like rising star. In the coaching profession, he is a El Paso guy, played at UTEP. So I don't know if he has aspirations outside of El Paso, but I think he's a guy that you could see, uh, uh, much like uh, Coach Perales at Naaman Forest, get out of El Paso in the future and get a big, you know, a bigger like DFW or Houston job, something like that. He is known as a bit of an offensive uh, mastermind type. Um, they've looked really good when we've seen them at uh, State 7-on-7, seven seven. Uh, so I will fall in line here and go with Eastwood as well. 
All right, so here's where things get a little fun. Um, I think this is overdue. It's been a really good slate this year in small school. We thought it'd be a good time to do a different arrangement where we do two uh, quote-unquote small school games. Yeah, and uh, I think, Guy, this is another thing for the off-season meetings as we discuss rule changes. I think next year when we do picks, we're just going to do the, the best games. Who cares if they're small school, big school, whatever. Like, let's just get the, the best games that matter on here. Would totally prefer it. It makes picking games a lot easier. So, And you know what? This game's going to be fun anyway because we've got some recruits in it. Uh, and I think this will be one that you and Hudson can really speak on, and Hudson especially with the Southeast Texas connection here. So uh, 7.30 p.m. Friday. I don't think this one has changed as far as – time or day um, at Jasper's Bulldog Field. We've got the number four team in 4A Division II, the Silsby Tigers, who are 9-0, making the trip over to take on the Jasper Bulldogs, who are 7-2, and and very much on the rise. Uh, according to the DCTF computer, Silsby enters this game as a 12-point favorite. Um, I think that's kind of interesting and, and something of note. Uh, this, once again, is another district championship, this time in 9-4A D2. Uh, from a playoff situation, as of now, the projections are that Silsby and West Columbia would match up in the first round in the 1-4 game, and Jasper and Sealy would match up in the 2-3 game. Although in that West columbia Sealy district, things are still not settled, and, and a lot of moving could change this week. So that that's all up for, for grabs. Um, the wheel's spoken. I will go first. Um, Hudson will go second and Mike again in the trail. Um, so I'm going to keep this short. Um, I don't know a ton about the actual talent at Jasper, but I do know that they've got, uh, I think a couple guys of note. And I do know that Mike and I actually met coach Kendrick Crumedy this past summer at coaching school. Um, I believe he is a Jasper guy that's now back at the school and trying to kind of flip that program back in the right direction. It's obviously a really prideful program down there. Uh, and he's doing a really good job. Not to mention, as I kind of you know alluded to, uh, this Bulldog team is, is going very much in the right direction at 7-2, but they're playing some of their best football right now. Um, and their defense has really come around in the last couple of weeks, holding Bridge City to a touchdown. A couple of weeks ago, West Orange Stark to only two scores. And then they beat Horn Jefferson in the big game last week by 20 in a 28-8 final. So uh, they're, they're, the Bulldog defense has really started to clamp up a little bit. But they might be getting their biggest test of the year uh, when they go up against Silsby um, and their attack. Uh, and, and who's the recruit that uh, – uh, Draylon Miller. Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing blanks there. Um, Draylon Miller's had one of the best years uh, – or best um, campaigns this year in, in high school football in Texas – and uh, honestly, just been all over Twitter and just uh, really caught my eye. I don't know a ton about him. I do know he has a little bit of a basketball background as well. Um, so give me Silsby. Uh, I, I do think Jasper will kind of unload their their toolkit here and, and give it a go. But give me Silsby in a close one on the road. They're really similar teams as of late. Both Jasper and Silsby beat um, West Orange Stark by more than 20. Both of them. Uh, won a one-score game with against Hampshire Finette, who in Southeast Texas probably is the program, I guess, other than Lumberton, that I'm most impressed by. Like, Hampshire Finette beating West Orange Stark outright and nearly beating Silsby and Jasper. Like, that that's just insane. Um, but Guy mentioned it. Even though 
I will say Jasper's losses on the year. Franklin, who I think we agree is probably the best team in 3A Division One, losing to Franklin by six and then losing to Newton at Newton. I, I know personally how tough it is to play there. So no fault uh, for Silsby, but I mean for Jasper. But for me and my pick, I just trust, even though Jasper has some guys like, you know, Ty Anthony Smith and Keody Armstrong that are legit Division I uh, talents, Jalen Miller is playing out of his mind and is kind of, to me, on that, at least for high school impact, Micah Hudson level, where he just takes over games consistently. So, so I've got Silsby. They'd be my pick to meet Carthage in a state title. Probably everybody else here as well. I think y'all had them preseason. Yes, and that's one I feel good about. Um, I think you made a great point. Jasper seven and two, but those two losses, nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, you know, played within a score of Franklin, played within uh, you know, kind of two scores of of Newton. And a team that we would all like to see kind of rise back to be the, that Southeast Texas power that they are, that they have been. I think where it gets really interesting, really the decider for me in this was a common opponent. I believe it's Liberty, Liberty High School in Southeast Texas. Uh, Jasper only was able to top them by a score uh, while Silsby kind of took them to the woodshed 61 to six. Um, I'm going to use that as my key data point in this and pick Silsby for the win. One workplace harassment. <laughs> Two, I thought we were friends. Three, the Liberty this Panthers is, are arguably the best one and eight team in the state, if not the country. We're bringing back poking the bear. I don't like it when it's me. I enjoy doing the poking. <laughs> I've been sitting waiting for this one. So, uh, you know, it, it, it hey, brought it back. I know how Tony Soprano felt. Spoilers. <laughs> okay. All right. So that'll do it for picks. Um, anything else? Any other games quickly that, like, we should just hit real quick and uh, go over? Or, or we want to uh, move Red on Oak to the schedule? really interesting. Yeah, I think I'll – Man, I would have picked Red Oak, I'll be honest. I kind of think they might get them. Yeah, Mid Midlow's tough, though, man. They've been a machine. They're really good. I just feel scorned still. I'm sure Guy does, too, that Lake Belton wasn't able to hold on to their lead late. Yeah, yeah that, that sucked, no doubt. And then we've got the new season upon us next, next week. We will be talking about uh, first-round playoff games, which is a little bit of a tease, maybe a super show. Maybe a super show. We were working on a super guest, so uh, I'm sure we'll be able to get it. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to our schedules then. Um, I'll start and just kind of speak for guys since our schedules will mirror each other's this week. Uh, he can, of course, add anything he wants, but, I mean, it's pretty much going to be the same stuff. Uh, Kilgore, Tyler Chapel Hill on Thursday. Uh, that's a game we've talked about in our picks. And then Friday uh, – it was slip Hickens after everything got moved to Thursday. It was a lot of scrambling, a lot of what are we going to do here? And so I think what we've decided on is um, South Oak Cliff and Woodrow Wilson. Uh, South Oak Cliff is going to roll to their, to their district championship. Uh, I think Woodrow is like one of the teams in that district that has a better chance against them than most of the other teams they play. 
but still, I would pick Sock to win in that game. And it's not hard to convince Guy to go to a game at Forrester Field. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, the place of uh, many of relatives. My grandfather was PA there for many years. So, yeah, no, that's a great place to go. All right, Hudson, what do you have? Melissa Lucas Lovejoy, Thursday night. And then Friday, because of the lightning, I'm worried if it clears up day of, I have a idea of a couple games I might be able to go to. But, I mean, yeah, I, I'm a little bit pessimistic about the Friday night um, potential, which I think it's smart that a lot of people move their games to Thursdays. Yeah, and Friday, just think, boys, Friday night, like around midnight, we'll be able to start planning first-round playoff games. So much fun. I cannot wait. It's a lot of fun because you you don't – The locations kind of filter out like, oh, wow, they're actually playing this game here. Yeah, or that game's going to be at the star or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, or, or triple header potential. Yeah, so I think, think there's some fun there. First round, of course, in the big schools will all be home games for the most part, so – that stuff won't really happen until the second or third rounds, but man, it's uh, it's fun to get that new playoff season started and see kind of who's going to be the upstart. All right. Anything else uh, from anybody before we get out of here? Yeah. I'll add my typical shout out to my good friend, coach Heron, Abilene Cooper. Great. As there's actually a reason to shout him out this week as the, what, what are they calling it? Um, the Southtown Showdown. Showdown. Yeah. That's a new one. Um, so, Abilene Wiley obviously had a, a lot of great years in the 3A level, um, then the 4A level. And then when they made the jump to 5A, things were not as smooth. Well, now they'll get their chance, um, I guess, with their fe- fellow Southtowners, as they'll get a, get a shot at Abilene Cooper, who's one of the more traditional programs out there, uh, and the district championship of sorts in 2-5A D2. So, uh, big one between Wiley and Cooper. I think the game is over at Wiley at Hugh Sanford. Uh, what's the stadium now called? I think yeah, while you're looking there. that up, by the way, yeah. If this would have been on Pickham, I think I would have picked Wiley. Yeah, I think I would have gone with Cooper just so I don't ruin a friendship there. <laughs> um, not to mention, like Wiley's really made me. You know, they've proved me wrong because I think I kind of poo pooed them in all our preseason discussions about how they've just struggled to make that jump and someone like Argyle was not going to struggle as much in that regard. So um, I'm happy to see it personally because growing up as a, uh, at the time three, a fan, Abilene Wiley basketball, especially had some really good teams. Okay. So they've renamed it to Hugh sand, the first stadium out at Wiley, which is after the legendary head coach that led them through all those glory years uh, throughout the, early 2000s and on into just a couple of years ago, actually. Um, I think it was just Wiley Stadium before that or something along those lines. Now it's Hugh Sandifer Stadium. So uh, anyway, good one out in Abilene. If you're out that way, uh, might be worth the time to go check that one out. Um, that's it for me. All right. We appreciate everybody for listening. Appreciate you for giving feedback to the show. For Guy Frazier and Hudson Standish, I'm Mike Roach, and we will see you guys next week.